Welcome to Player One on Sin. Today we are joined by a legend of the YouTube music scene, a metal music master. His name is Family Jules. Now, Jules, for those who don't know you, you can correct me here. Uh, you have been on YouTube for just over 10 years and you have been covering um, video game music soundtracks in some, what, I, what I would personally describe as distinctively fun metal styles. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. I've been, I've been doing this for uh 11 11 years this month uh, of june Ooh. um so it it's been a long time uh <laughs> I, I i remember early on kind of feeling like an underdog on the scene and now i kind of feel like a dinosaur so uh it's it's uh it, it's wild wild hearing those those numbers but yeah I, I do a lot of um uh metal covers uh of video game songs and i try to keep them fun i you know i i tr like you know, I don't do any like metal vocals and growling or anything. So uh, it's it's mostly just the guitars and stuff. So uh, mm. a little bit more accessible, I think, hopefully. Definitely, definitely. And I, I guess we'll lead into the first question off that. What led you to cover video game soundtracks specifically? Yeah, I um, well, I, I've been a gamer. Uh, ooh, that's a that's a controversial statement. I've been a gamer now. Um, uh, I, I've uh, you know I've played games for about as long as I can remember. Um, you know, my first game was Zelda for the NES, um, Super Mario Bros. Uh, uh, when I was very very young. Um, but I, I think what ended up happening was kind of separately from all of that. I uh, picked up a guitar at probably the age fourteen and. Uh, I think, you know, I was learning all the basic stuff that guitar, new guitarists learn, but eventually I got to this point where I remembered how awesome the F-Zero X soundtrack was for the Nintendo 64, um, and just how absolutely just, like, inhumane the, the guitar sounded, just absolutely unearthly uh, guitar shred, and I kept telling myself, like, one day, if I can if I can play like Big Blue or Mute City from F Zero or F Zero X, like I've made it. Like I, I can, I, I consider myself a proficient guitarist. Um, so that kind of became a goal of mine. Um, and I remember looking up tab, guitar tabs and stuff for uh, F Zero, F Zero X music and stuff. Um, and I found that I enjoyed it more because it, it provided a new challenge. Um, these. Uh, as I, you know, broke into doing maybe more like uh, Mario 64 songs or Banjo-Kazooie, I started realizing that there was kind of trying to learn how to play a song that wasn't originally written for the guitar uh, creates a very interesting challenge. Um, and it started to kind of develop a style that I felt was really close to my heart since that was kind of the first music that I heard was Zelda and Banjo-Kazooie and, and uh, you know, Mario. Um, so something about it felt right. And then when I kind of got to the point at which I was thinking about making YouTube videos, um, and you know, I didn't, I didn't want to just be, you know, the 700,000th person to cover, uh, backcountry by Ben Sevenfold. Uh, I thought video games would be cool, uh, mostly because I was inspired by a lot of other people who did it, such as, uh, CS Guitar 89, uh, Metal Daniel 03, people on the scene in like the 2010 range. Um, that was, that was, that was, 
uh, pretty much all of the inspiration. Why I've been able to do it for so long, it, it really kind of, uh, it, it sticks its roots really deep in uh, my my childhood. So, yeah. I have to ask, you brought up um, tabs in video games, and I think that's something that's become so much more accessible over the last uh, 10 or so years. How was that going into it? Because I imagine the difficulty in finding particular tabs may have been um, quite uh, off-putting to starting a YouTube career in guitar, especially under video games. Definitely. I um, I think, yeah, in the beginning, it was very, very difficult um, to find guitar tabs. But um, at that point, <clears throat> I was really trying to venture more into being able to play things by ear, just be able to kind of hear something and replicate it on, on, on the fretboard. Um, and I, I felt, uh, I, I kind of felt that um, it would open, you know, the the horizons of what I could play if I didn't have to rely on, you know, somebody else's tab. I was also noticing, as many guitarists notice, that since tabs are usually unofficial, they're not always the most accurate. Um, <clears throat> so I figured uh, it would be a good time to uh, switch things up and start trying to, to learn things by ear. Another uh, thing that was very, very helpful was um, <clears throat> there's, a there's a lot more uh, uh, MIDI uh, of video game music available online, also unofficial, also made by fans and stuff. Um, and you can drag and drop a MIDI file that somebody makes. And a MIDI file is just, um, uh, uh, it, it's almost like programmable um, files to, to uh, that you can drop into like GarageBand or something and you can separate the files out into different instruments if you want to. Um, so I was able to actually look at those and look at the individual lines and kind of copy it that way. Um, and I've been a fan of um, vgmusic.com since the 90s. That that website is old, very, 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 very old. Um, and I remember that's where I used to go to to listen to Ocarina of Time remixes and stuff. And um, so, so all of those things really kind of came together to also be a learning experience for me. I mean, the whole YouTube thing was wasn't to be the next, you know, PewDiePie or, you know, whatever. It was really just kind of a challenge for me. Um, it was a learning experience to kind of force myself to um, make a make a video game arrangement once every week and it just accidentally kind of became something else, I guess. I mean, I, I, we kind of skipped ahead a little bit in my questions, but I guess that kind of falls into it. I think you kind of answered it. Um, so a lot of YouTube musicians will often, often cover uh, new popular music in order to drum up views or just try and get mm -hmm. something around their... Uh, stuff you don't seem to follow suit why is that <clears throat> there's um uh <laughs> there's a there's a there's a long answer to this question a short answer to the question the short answer of the question is uh, uh um it sucks to have to constantly be like you know and it's it, it you know if you're treating if you're treating your career like a marathon which you should you shouldn't treat it like a sprint unless you uh, you know, are thinking about changing career paths uh, in, you know, two months. Um, you, you have to kind of think about that longevity. And I think I uh, I always from the beginning kind of kept that in mind. But the long, excuse me, the long answer of it, I, I would really, it really kind of comes down to um, striking a balance between kind of uh, um, the intellectual side of being a musician and a publisher and the the emotional feeling side and you know the intellectual side says do do what's popular you know because you know that that's what what people are going to want to see and the other side of it is really like 
you know, you want to play pentatonic scale and bend one note for three minutes and be like, yeah, I really feel that. And you can't do that with a song that you don't really care about, right? You can't really like, you know, evoke that kind of emotion. Um, so it really is finding a balance. You know, I think people really split it between like, like, oh, you like, if you want to be popular, you have to cover Five Nights at Freddy's or you got to do, you know, uh, right now the big one's uh, Friday Night Funkin'. Um, in the past, it's been Undertale. Um, and if you don't do that and you don't do that all the time, you're not going to get big. Um, and then, I, you know, I, I think it's a constant balance between that and kind of being like, well, why am I doing this in the first place? You know, like if I really want to do that, then why aren't I covering like, I don't know, what, like pop music, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, like it's, it's kind of, for me, it is kind of just striking a balance. Fair, fair. Uh, you kind of answered it before, but I will ask again, were there any video games or OSTs that particularly inspired you both as a kid and maybe later on down the track there was an ost or something you heard that kind of jogged that motivation and got you really into wanting to play it again uh the the music you mean for youtube yeah. and stuff yeah well uh, goldeneye was the one um so that was um that was like f-zero obviously I, I learned how to play that stuff you know really badly not to a metronome in my basement <laughs> you know i was like yeah I'm, I'm a master guitarist now but what what really kind of got me into um honing honing the skill was uh there was a a fan-made goldeneye remake called goldeneye source um and it had a bunch of really cool remakes of the music a lot of them had guitars in them and stuff and i think i remember hearing um you know uh the the first level uh the dam level and hear that just like or whatever like on guitar it's like oh my god that's so cool and then that do 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 like all, all those really really cool uh melodies on your guitar and i was like i want to learn how to play that and i fell in love with it so much that i was just like i want to record this into like garage band um uh, you know and and then that's kind of what kind of got the ball rolling um and i obviously was inspired by the youtubers before to then make a video and know where to put it when i was done um but yeah there's that as far as generally <clears throat> my favorite ost has always bounced between um uh jet force gemini for the nintendo 64 which was primarily composed by robin beanland um but pretty much pretty much everybody on the rare team except for grant kirkhope worked on that one because it was <laughs> alistair Lindsay, robin beanland graham norgate um like uh and then uh the other one that really uh st sticks with me to this day is snowboard kids that OST, uh, yeah, I, the, some of these are a little bit deep, deeper cuts, but I was an N64 kid growing up. Um, the the OST to Snowboard Kids just like uh, it hits in a, in a way that has no right for a video game about weird big nosed snowboard children. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's 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 phenomenal. It's a it's a phenomenal soundtrack. Where's those deep cuts that hit? Um, it really is. Um, I will ask, outside of video games as well, are there any musicians or bands, and I think I know the answer of this, uh, that have influenced your taste and style? Yes. Uh, biggest one is Avenged Sevenfold. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I, I wanted to be uh, uh, 
I wanted to be the lead guitarist of N Sevenfold. Um, I, I studied all of his guitar playing. Um, I was really inspired by Lamb of God. Um, so, uh, you know, Willie Adler and Mark Morton's guitar playing was a really, really important to my to my upbringing. Um, John Petrucci from Dream Theater, huge, huge influence. His um, Rock Discipline DVD, um, when I would later meet him and play the Mario theme with him years later, I would tell him that, like, uh, one of the biggest jumps in my guitar playing was uh, locking myself in my room until I could play everything that he teaches in that DVD. Um, so, but as far th that's metal. Um, I'm also, you know, I, I I went to school for classical guitar. So Andre Segovia, um, John Williams, not the well, the the film composer, but also the classical guitarist John Williams. Um, uh, uh, so many I, I love. Um, you know, pieces by Villa Lobos, uh, Brower, all, all of that stuff. That's a whole other side. But then I love classic rock. I'm a huge fan of The Doors. Jim Morrison is one of my 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 idols. Um, well, idol idol is a strong word. Uh, he's he had a colorful life. I, I don't know if I would uh, <laughs> replicate everything he did. But um, very very interesting person. Um, I love pop music like Lady Gaga um, and stuff. Very very influential uh, to my playing. But right now, I think one of the biggest is. Um, K-Rock K and J-Rock bands are very, very big for me. So right now, the big one's uh, called Passcode. Uh, is one of my favorite right now. But um, obviously, uh, Baby Metal and uh, Band Made and all those bands are phenomenal. So uh, yeah, a lot of... Uh, a lot of oh and, and super important um is uh math rock stuff like chon pliny polyphia um you know architects animals as leaders a lot of these like getting into gent stuff is very very influential to me as well i don't hear enough people answering with math rock um <laughs> but before we dive into i guess your specifically your career in youtube well i'm going to ask the obvious question uh, and i'm sure you've been asked this in every interview why did you choose the name family jewels do you, you want, want the funny seven X? Yeah. Do you want the funny funny answer or the the serious answer, or both? Uh, hit me with both. Okay. The funny. Well, okay. The the serious answer. So, uh, my name is Jules. Um, that's my 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 actual name. Um, and in high school, uh, one of the this kid that I was friends with at the time, uh, used to call me Family Jules because. You know, he was just joking around. He would call me down the hall and be like, family jewels, like this is something he did. Um, and he, he was kind of part of a group of friends that, um, you know, I think we all had a group of friends in high school that that maybe we realized weren't, weren't didn't have our best interests in mind. Um, and I think I, I identified that. Um, and uh, I, I still very distinctly remember uh, hearing family jewels called by this person down the hallway. Um, and I remember that person that was being called for um, and how different of a person he was than how I am today. So Family Jewels is kind of a reminder to myself um, that uh, kind of change is inev inevitable um, in any, any situation that, you know, I might feel tired or upset or angry or happy or optimistic or pessimistic that the only thing I can count on is things are going to change. Like, I'm never going to know where I'm going to be in five, 10 years. I mean, this happened 15 years is when, you know, I was in high school. Um, the funny answer is balls. I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I uh, you know, I, I think I, I really like uh, childish humor. Um, and uh, it, I think it really kind of sums up a, a silliness to my personality that I like to maintain um, as much as I can. 
Yeah, and you, you're talking um, about the past, obviously, and I think uh, we'll go back to that a little bit with the past. Um, obviously, we mentioned you started upload, uploading to YouTube in 2010, and you said that GoldenEye was uh, influential to you. Mm-hmm. That was uh, the first thing you uploaded was a GoldenEye uh, medley. Looking back on that video, can you describe the process uh, and your emotions going through actually uploading and recording that video? Yeah, so the original video um, actually uh, was a montage of video clips from the movie GoldenEye. Um, I wasn't originally going to have my guitar playing, and I actually still have that original cut um, with the original mix of that song had um, uh, pre uh, like drum samples um, of of measures rather than having uh, programmed drums. Program being like. Um, if you were to like, like you literally plug in every time a kick drum hits or a snare drum hits or a hi-hat hits whereas a sample is more of like a, a drummer played like a measure of something and I just copy and paste that um, so I didn't learn how to program until then and then uh, eventually that happened so I think the emotions were I, I was so excited because you know I, I, I'd been in a lot of bands and none of them really went anywhere because I felt like I was the, I felt like I was the only one really in it for the music um, uh, so it was fun being able to take on an entire project where I was in control of every single aspect of it. Um, you know, uh, I, I think, I think that was exciting for me. Um, and, uh, getting to, getting to kind of be in control of the timeline of it was nice. Um, even though it was my first arrangement of that style, it took me only two weeks to put that whole thing together. Um, uh, later, I would re- come to realize that that it would be one week that would be the time frame that I that it would take me to put together um, something like that, and I would release weekly, um, pretty much up until this day, um, with a few breaks in between. But um, the actual process of it was, um, you know, uh, like YouTube was a thing. You know, I mean, I'm a dinosaur, but you know, we didn't. We didn't, you know, click rocks together to start bonfires or anything. We 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 had YouTube to teach us how to do things. Um, so there was plenty of tutorials on how to how to work out. Mixcraft was the software I was using at the time. Um, I use Cubase now, uh, not because Mix Mixcraft is bad or anything, but um, just uh, Cubase is better for what I do now. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I was I was excited. It, it was an exciting new prospect for something I was very passionate about to finally like start realizing that I actually did have the tools to do everything myself rather than have to rely on a drummer and then rely on a bassist. And you know, I remember actually for that video specifically, I went, um, well, okay, no, it was the video afterwards, but I borrowed my bassist's bass so that I could play that. So that's why I have that bass in that video. It's like a weird, like, it's got like a big A on it. I don't know. Um, but then I, I, I looked on Craigslist for the cheapest bass I could find. Um, and I bought that bass for the next video I made a week later. Um, so yeah, a lot, lot of excitement, a lot of, um, uh, it, it opened the door to, to possibilities for the future. Now that I knew that I didn't have to, you know, uh, rely on a band that was in it for the wrong reasons than just music. How has that process changed and what does your YouTube working week usually look like? Um, so it's changed quite a lot. Um, I think, uh, you know, in the beginning I kind of just, you know, uh, kind of 
just hoped for the best, pulled out a guitar and tried to play along with the tracks that I had, you know, that I, that I wanted to cover, kind of learn the stuff and then maybe record it to a click or whatever. But everything else kind of came second, you know, like what, what are the drums sound like? I don't know. I'll figure that out later and stuff. Um, and it was a, it was kind of a mess of a process because then after the whole thing was done, I would have to re-record it again to video. Um, and you know, I, I would usually record things like four, uh, sometimes even five times just to make sure that, um, uh, I wasn't making dumb faces or whatever in the, uh, in the video, um, or whatever. But, uh, then eventually, um, uh, you know, now, now I'm using Cubase and stuff. It has some better templating and stuff for, uh, you know, like I can, I can save the same presets from another cover that sounded great, um, and just reuse them. Um, also, uh, I write, I write everything completely out in MIDI now and arrange everything completely because then I can, um, upload that to, to guitar pro and figure out the tabs for it, um, later on for uh, people who support me on uh, Patreon and stuff. So, um, yeah, so there's that. And then um, as far as like before, it was like pretty much like down to the wire every week of whether or not a video was going to be done. Um, you know, just be like, all right, today I have to record the rhythm guitars. And I pretty much did that until I dropped. And then the next day it was bass or the next day it was lead guitars or mixing and filming and, you know, all this stuff. But now it only really takes me like if I'm like really on it, like Usually Monday is the day that I work on the cover that comes out a week, like the next week. That's the day I usually arrange because that's a very creative, like draining process. But then the next day I do all all the tracking and stuff. Um, mostly because now I don't have to do as many t like takes as I need to as I used to. Um, there's that, and then uh, usually I'd say hopefully I'm done by Thursday. Uh, it always things always end up being complicated scheduling because now i have somebody else film for me uh usually like wide shots i usually have um either my girlfriend adriana figueroa or um uh cory dyer um is another uh person that he's, he's a close friend of mine who does a lot of my cinematography um but yeah so things have changed a lot but um i would say there's still kind of an element of just like a like i don't really know what the cover is going to sound like until you know, I, I start sitting down with it and start, um, you know, working. There, there's a handful that I knew it, like I had an idea before I went into it, what it was going to sound like. But most of the time, it's just like, a, I like the song a lot. I want to play it. Let's see what happens. So, Oh, man, I was going to ask there, um, how do you decide what song you will cover every week? Because that must be a hell of a decision to do week on week. <laughs> I, I think it probably used to be, but now it really isn't. I I have a I have a big spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets. Um uh with all songs that I potentially would do. Um stuff like whenever I come up with an idea like, oh that'd be a cool song or I hear it, I'll just jot it down somewhere. Um but I almost never go to it. It's almost always just like a like this week I didn't I, I did um uh pecora's theme from uh, uh she's a hollow live uh vtuber uh who plays you know video games and stuff and it's just been a song that's been stuck in my head for what sounds like eons now and i was just like you know what i want to i want to play it and it's a very happy bubbly major key song but i wanted to see how heavy and brutal i could make it um without changing tonality uh so yeah it, it always pretty much comes down to like on that monday when it's like time to start the next video it I never open up that spreadsheet. I know it's nice <laughs> to know it's there, but it's usually like, I, I know what I want to do usually by Monday. It's a song that's stuck in my head or it's a song that I think might do well. Um, 
and kind of what I was talking about earlier in the interview, I try to find a good balance between those two. Fair, fair. Um, and uh, I figure I'll go back to why video game music again, but why do you think the video game cover scene has grown in the way it has uh, with people like Insane in the Rain, Toxic Eternity, Sabarine, uh, you mentioned before Adriana Figueroa, <clears throat> Figueroa uh, Rashad E.B. and the 8-Bit Drummer and so many more other musicians. Why do you think that's grown the way it has? Yeah, I mean, that's the tip of the iceberg. There are so many amazingly talented uh, artists that are, you know, up and coming and might even have a hard time uh, growing because the the now it's so, so saturated. I think it really comes down to, um, like, when I started it, there was a handful of people doing it. There was kind of like a, like a first wave generation of people that were even like prior to me. Uh, you know, people like um, Doc Jazz and uh, Metal Daniel 03. Doc Jazz is a uh, uh, ocarina player um, and stuff. And he was doing Zelda music on the ocarina and stuff uh, way, way before I was doing guitar stuff. Uh, CS Guitar 89, obviously, this was kind of like the knots uh, right before the 2010s. Um, or the, the, the aughts, I should say. Knots, whatever. Um, the Yeah, so the... Uh, I think... I was probably like a second or third wave video game YouTuber or, or like like online creator or whatever. Um, but it was still so um, niche. It was so unbelievably niche that like, um, I think it was still kind of blowing people's minds that people were doing this. Um, and I think as time went on, um, there became more reasons to do so. Um, and the resources became more available. So things like, uh, you know, um, the I think the Scarlet interface for one is was a huge thing for like it was it was something that was easy to like you know just tell somebody who's just like I want to record professional sounding recordings back in the back in 2010. Like I had the I actually had I still have it. Um, this little uh, red Line Six pod on my thing—that was the first thing that I ever used. I recorded the Goldeneye medley on that, um, and everything all the way up until everything else that I have. Um, it was a lot more complicated, but now you can just be like, "Buy this, this Scarlet." You know, it, it's it's that's the that's the thing, and or if not that, then some other thing. But now they're literally just like boxes that you just plug your guitar in, and then you can download something online that makes the guitar sound. And it's great because, or, uh, or no sound. You could record a saxophone in it. Um, but being able to have not just like more resources available, but really easy to understand, like uh, resources available for recording artists, has been huge. But then the other thing is just yeah, having the idea in the first place comes from seeing somebody like, uh, like I don't know, maybe me or Toxic Eternity, who's my roommate actually. Um, uh, you know, he was doing it longer than I have I've been too. And, you know, uh, I remember seeing his covers and just being like, well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm never going to do this because there's already some guy way better than me doing it, you know? And I mean, things change. And I, I think, um, you know, for some people it might be like, well, now there's a way to monetize it. Like that wasn't a thing before. Like now I can make a career out of it or at least part of my career can be doing YouTube and stuff. Um that's probably why. Um, and then c the community aspect of it. I think it was a little bit more chaotic um, back in the aughts, back in the early 2010s. Um, and I think uh, I think now there's a, there's a few more hubs, you know, and people can reach out to people 
um, a lot easier. I know people like uh, Ro Panaganti uh, has been great about, uh, you know, bringing together the BGM scene and um, a lot of people uh, who have, uh, you know, been around a very long time, um, you know, understanding the importance of that community, I think is also a huge, huge part of it. Mm. Off the back of those communities, what decisions lead to, for you at least, a collaboration with another musician, whether it be within that tight-knit community, whether it be someone you work with quite often or someone that you don't work with very often? At this point, it's 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 uh, convenience at this point. Like, I, I, it sucks because, like, I think a lot, a lot of people um, have really cool ideas of collaborations to do with me. A lot of close friends, a lot of people that are insanely talented that I don't know. Um, but it always usually comes down to, like, I mean, I live with Adriana Figueroa. I live with Toxic Eternity. Um, and un- that's pretty unfair for any singer or any guitarist mm. that wants to work <laughs> with me because they, they, they both pretty much have that, that covered. And then I'm really good friends with Jared, the 8-bit drummer. So if I ever need drums, I- I'm like, I've worked with him before. So uh, there, there is, especially being on a timeline of having to put out a, a video in a week, unless it's a long form, um, project, I don't really have the, uh, the freedom to kind of go at the risk of working with somebody new um, very often at all. And mm-hmm. it it sucks because I think that those collaborations are a big reason of why a lot of people have grown. Um, even just people who have, uh, I, I noticed that like uh, people who just do like small solo guitar solos for like a lot of people, um, it, it tends to pay off because it spreads the word of that creator. I know Rich for a very, very long time um, did tons and tons of guitar solos for people. And I think that that, that definitely like cemented his position in the, uh, in the BGM and uh, BGM scene because he's just so good and works so fast. Um, and he's an unbelievable wizard on the guitar. It's the same with Jack with toxic eternity. Um, yeah. So I think, I think that's, that's, it's it's just tougher because I think I'm I'm more of a control freak in in the project portion of things where um, I like to I like to mitigate variables uh, that could cause um, delays. Uh, so uh, that's probably uh, my answer to that. But I if I could I would work with every single musician alive because I think I take away something um, from each of those and I'm selfish and I like to steal other people's secrets. Fair, fair, don't we all? Um, a bit of a more iffy question here, but do you think it's realistic for someone to try and get involved in this scene nowadays? And if so, what do you think they need to do to stand out in a scene that is no longer as niche as it once upon a time was? Yes, um, but it's obviously way harder. I know that that's the obvious answer, but um, the, an- the, the, the more specific answer is you do have to do something different. Um, I've seen, uh, you, you do have to kind of strike that balance between the, um, you know, doing what will do well and doing what you enjoy doing so you can do it for a long period of time because you can, you, you can, you know, you can roll the most weighted dice as possible, but there's still a chance it's going to roll a one and it could roll a one many, many times. I think there's a frustration with a lot of people starting out with that. Like I think as, as time goes on and as there's more people, um, 
it, it might feel like it's impossible, but it, I mean, I see so many um, people who are like utilizing the tools that they have available to them. One of which is um, Longest Solo Ever is a YouTuber that I, I discovered because he's been doing covers of uh, Friday Night Funkin' music and his channel is absolutely exploding because of it. And he's an absolutely talented, talented guitarist. Um, but there are so many absolutely talented guitarists who mm. are getting, you know, who feel like they're getting nowhere. Um, I mean, I, I would, I would argue, because if you're, you know, if you're working on something and putting something out, then you're, you're becoming a better musician, regardless of who's watching or how many internet points you get. Um, but like, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting to see somebody who's also so passionate about it, who's so good at production, um, and also who's utilizing like analytics and being able to see like, okay, this is an opportunity. I'm going to capitalize on this. Um, it, it it's really really paid off for 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 somebody like him um for uh for somebody like rich who um he really started blowing up in 2015 um you know he he really capitalized on the undertale on the success of undertale later with toho um and uh, the souls like games and stuff like that what was cool with undertale is like he jumped into that because he just thought it was a wacky game before anybody was really talking about it like months after mm. it came out. So he almost kind of like tent pulled that, you know, he was already had his foot in the door uh, before any of the other covers came out. And Rich is like, Rich is a huge uh, player in the scene now. Um, but, you know, he, he started five years after I did, you know, so that kind of shows that time is a construct <laughs> in a way. It's <laughs> kind of like, it's, it's a, it, you know, it, it does play a part. There are more people now. There will be more people in the future. Um, but I think the strategy remains the same, that if you do something different that has a good balance between those, like in the middle of that, I think you have a good shot. You can, you can, you can weigh the dice. You can roll more dice by doing more videos. But this, I, I feel like the score that you have to get is inflates as time goes on, I would say. But it's still very, very possible because... I don't know. The, uh, the Falcone, he's a he's a huge huge YouTuber right now. He uploads multiple times a week, um, and he is absolutely like dominating the the BGM scene right now. Um, mm -hmm. He doesn't do videos of him playing. He just has a still image and covers stuff. But he capitalizes on on uh, things like that, and he also does things that I I would assume he's very passionate about. I've never talked to him, but um, it's been really cool seeing another way another way of doing this that that works better than the way that everybody like made rules and like this is how you should do it you know i, I don't know it's it's cool it's it's exciting for the future so mm. don't 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 let the saturation stop you it's still possible i guess is what i would say definitely definitely uh, and we're going to move on to you specifically now and your opportunities you've had within uh music and specifically video games uh so you had an you've had opportunities to work with a couple video games uh, the first one that springs to mind is uh, Crypt of the Necro, uh, Necro Dancer mm -hmm. um, back in the day. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, what is Crypt of the Necro Dancer and how did you become involved? Crypt of the Necro Dancer is a, um, uh, a rhythm-based roguelike dungeon crawler, which is a mouthful. Um, it's essentially imagine um, you're playing the original Legend of Zelda, but you can only move on every beat of the music that's playing. Um, and that creates a lot of very, very unique challenges to being able to beat monsters. Like monsters can attack you if you move onto a square that you're not attacking. So if you move onto a square and then it attacks you from the side and it's in its attack animation, then it's going to do damage to you. 
whereas the opposite, you do damage to them. Um, it, it becomes in, infuriatingly, nauseatingly complicated and challenging as it goes on. Um, but like most roguelikes, it's designed to kick your butt in the first level and then teach you through your miserable failures how to play the game. Um, not not a game for everybody, I would say, but I think the people who do enjoy it, it's uh, it, it's it's a masterpiece game, um, and not just because I worked on it, but um, you know, it, it helps. It helps that I worked. Okay, <laughs> so um, no, anyway, so um, I got I uh, the composer of that game was Danny Baranowski. He did the music for Super Meat Boy and Binding of Isaac, which um, I did uh, a lot of covers of on YouTube. He discovered me through my Super Meat Boy. Um, covers and he reached out to me um to do a song off of the wrath of the lamb dlc for the binding of isaac which was um my innermost apocalypse which is like the final 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 boss of the game because there's it's a roguelike there's a lot of final bosses mm. um big air quotes uh so i did the guitars on that and he enjoyed working with me and i remember i went out to visit him in uh seattle um and he showed me this wacky little game he was working on that was in super super duper pre-alpha called crypt of the necrodancer which he had already made some songs for and i was kind of like well if this is going to be a danny game then i'm probably going to end up covering the music for youtube so i was just like hey you know you want to you want to slide me those tracks you know like early so that i can get a head start on it maybe in the future like have an easy video to pop out um so i went home and i did those covers and uh he uh i sent them to him you know and he got this idea like okay but what if you did every song and we put it in the game so it was a, it was a cool like opportunity that that you know it, it doesn't usually happen like that but it was um it was it was a perfect you know situation i got to you know obviously do some guitars for the original soundtrack not just the cover stuff um but that's how that ended up working out. And then he's also the composer for uh, Cadence of Hyrule, uh, which, uh, you know, it we kind of did the same kind of thing uh, for that. Mm. Um, yeah, m moving on from Crypt of the Necrodancer, of course, though. Yeah, Cadence of Hyrule. Um, could you talk us through how you felt when you found out that you would be a part of a Zelda game? It was honestly one of the most overwhelming uh discord messages i ever got <laughs> um it, it was danny in all lowercase letters being like hey want to work on a zelda game and like two question marks like it was super like because you know we're friends and it it, it it was super informal but you know obviously there was contracts and stuff involved afterwards but that was the initial because there, there were like murmurs and stuff of like oh we might be able to we might be working on something like can't really talk about it and then once i think they'd already like come up with like the like yeah we're gonna get jules on board then he was like hinting like oh you know it might be a zelda game or, you know like <laughs> i'm just like all right danny sure whatever um yeah uh but yeah and then it turned out to be a zelda game and i uh yeah and that's it, it like getting that message and and it I, I feel like when it's on the horizon like that like you're in you're in the it's just kind of on the periphery uh it's not i don't really like let that sink in like I, I feel like i've you know i would I, I would i would hate to be let down at something like that so um i, I was just like ah yeah it probably won't happen you know but then when it was when i started realizing that this is not only could be happening it is happening i was very overwhelmed i i, I felt 
almost kind of like um even like years later when i would go to pax and i would see a giant you know poster of a picture of link and zelda and cadence on a on on the show floor with showing a game with music that i i i helped out with it kind of had like that Westworld thing where the robots are told that they're robots and they're just like, that doesn't look like anything to me. Like it was just kind of like, it was so like, I'm just like, I don't know that like, it just didn't process, you know? So mm. even to this day, I, I don't even know if I've really processed it all just because it's so overwhelming. Same thing for the John Petrucci video, him being a huge hero to me, uh, getting to do that. It was absolutely just mind. It was mind numbingly uh, exciting, literally. Hmm. Well, we'll grab. On, we'll jump on to John Petrucci in just a minute. But yeah, sorry, I, I I'm want, jumping. Uh, I'm jumping around. You're all good. You're all good. Um, I just wanted to ask though: Did you feel any pressure um, for Cadence of Hyrule working for Nintendo? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, this is not just you know some of the most iconic music <laughs> in video gaming, uh, officially licensed, right? Mm. Um, it's also my t- like I, I said earlier in the interview, like le- the Legend of Zelda, original Legend of Zelda, was one of my first games of all time. So, um, it it really, I, I remember specifically the moment I was playing the Overworld theme for the Overworld, and just feeling like feeling like I was kind of putting a dinosaur print in. You know, obviously, it's not like a main series Zelda game or anything, but it's an officially licensed Zelda title, one that Nintendo has to sign off on it, and it's arguably canon. What canon does Zelda have? Who knows? But like, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's it still felt like, you know, uh, you know, I'm brought back. I, I have that Ratatouille moment where you get sucked back into, <laughs> you know, like, like, like there's little me with the little N- NES controller. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm playing Zelda and bring it back into like, you know, however many years later. And now I'm playing that theme that I'm listening to for an official. Uh, it, it really is a dream come true. Um, but with that comes that responsibility. Um, I think what helped me a lot was uh specifically like i would put myself in the mindset of i'm playing this theme for that kid rather than the the hordes of nintendo audiences that can't be satisfied with anything so why bother (laughs) (laughs) i mean if you if you've ever seen the comments section of a nintendo uh direct you'll know what i mean oh they're 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 golden yet terrible (laughs) it's yeah it's it's a it's a mine of Mm. what is is up to up to interpretation (laughs) Um, definitely. And you mentioned John Petrucci before. We'll jump onto that. Um, how did how did that happen? Because for those who don't know, John Petrucci, obviously uh, super famous for the band Dream Theater. If you have not heard it, I don't think a lot of our audience will have. Check mm-hmm. them out because mm-hmm. you're missing out if you haven't. Yeah, um, staple, staple um, band for metal and uh, probably the godfathers of uh, prog, prog metal, um, you know, and rock, you know, only... Mm-hmm probably rivaled by like rush or something you know like it's and they're not even like the same thing it's yeah so uh yeah how did how did that happen like yeah um so i was reached out to by ernie ball um which is a a string company they make guitar strings and uh guitars as well but um typically very very high-end very expensive guitars like the ernie ball guitars really are like the ferrari or uh you know of, of guitars like um Typical guitars will run you, you know, anyway, like I, I think uh, it, 
they're they're I really just wanted the strings, you know, because I've been using your new ball strings for a long time, uh, since as long as I can remember. Um, and uh, yeah, I it was kind of a dream come true to finally get uh, finally get a call from anybody because you know I'm, I'm a YouTuber. Like, I, I almost feel like I've already like signed the signed the uh, you know signed my life away as far as it's like I'll probably never get a legitimate you know artist deal anything because i'm not really an artist i'm a youtuber you know because like uh it's a different if it's a different climate now i think youtubers are a little bit more respected than they were maybe like definitely 10 years ago but Mm -hmm. definitely also five years ago like youtuber was almost like a like a dirty word um but luckily things have changed um they reached out to me and said like hey you know people watch your youtube channel and we would like people to see ernie ball would can we work something out um and it was great. Uh, they were they worked with a lot of different artists, uh, not just me. But um, I'm not I'm not exactly sure why they they went with me specifically. Um, but they reached out to me, um, kind of like uh, almost uh, playfully, just like, hey, you know, like what do you, what what's your what's your availability? Say, you know, January around the time that G three is happening, and G three being a concert with uh, John Petrucci. Um, uh Steve Vai or not Steve Vai, uh Joe Satriani um and uh Phil Collins sometimes it's Paul Gilbert um uh, all all virtuoso guitarists um and I was like I, I'm free-ish you know probably making YouTube videos you know same old same old um and they and as as the emails kind of continued it started being g3x john petrucci then g3 started not being in the conversation and then they called me up and they're like hey we want you to do a video with john petrucci and i was like what (laughs) what like 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 the real one like not like a not like an imposter not like not like you know uh, not a not a double You, you want want me to do a video okay sure you know and i was a little bit in shock but i also try to keep a professional demeanor uh, and i'm just like oh you know yeah yeah I'll, I'll see if i can pencil that in uh john petrucci sure yeah we'll figure that out now um i uh it, it wasn't real to me until he was pulling into my driveway I, I'll, I'll say that it was it was still kind of like i know something's gonna come up you know like you know that they're they're gonna be like haha you thought we were gonna send a do a youtuber john petrucci like haha it's been a big prank you got got you know or something like that or you know uh but then when he pulled into the driveway it was real um and yeah and uh they they had a lot of ideas but i i was thinking like i want to do one of the most iconic video game songs with one of the most iconic guitarists um and I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, if you, you play any video games, Mr. Petrucci? And he was like, well, not really, but I know Mario. And I was like, well, who doesn't know Mario? So and then we, that's how we decided on the Mario theme. Uh, yeah. And the rest is just uh, the rest was just chaos. <laughs> the rest was just like it was a wild, wild ride that day. Let me tell you. Mm, and you've obviously worked with uh, other people within um i guess music fame of course one of them being grant kirkhope who Mm -hmm. we interviewed very recently and asked about you and how this collaboration came to be with uh the grunt uh benjo kazooie final boss theme Mm -hmm. um how did that happen on your end yeah first of all um i apologize for my my father's filthy mouth um (laughs) 
he can't control it. It's 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 something we're working on now. He's, uh, there's a joke among my community that he's my dad, and that's the only way that that would have ever happened. Is that you know, my my dad being Grant Kirkhope, I I asked him like, hey, Dad, can you come out to the backyard? We do a cover together. Just pre- just pretend you're just pretend like we're not family. Or, but like, I mean, I guess part of it is too like it was his idea to throw his hand on my on my shoulder and be like, Son, that's not how you play this or whatever. Whatever he said, it was mostly improvised. Um, uh, but I met Grant through Danny. Um, Grant Kirkhope and Danny Baranowski did a game together called Desktop Dungeons um, back uh, mid 2010s. Um, but they, uh, you know, I'm sure they got talking because they're both like uh, video game music royalty, and you know, they probably have some Discord server where they all, you know, decide the fate of video game music and post pictures of cats i'm sure um i haven't been invited to it yet so i haven't made it yet but i'll let you know when that changes i uh i want i want it to be clear though that like i like grant has always been absolute like royalty to me because banjo kazooie uh which he composed goldeneye these were games that were absolute um just just staples to my musical upbringing you know in general um so uh to me he he found me through uh, i think my donkey kong 64 medley and we'd been emailing back and forth but i wouldn't have met him in in like depth if it wasn't for danny so met him at a pax and then we got talking at uh danny's wedding a few years later um and then that was actually where i was just like hey can you play guitar he's like yeah i dabble <laughs> turns out he shreds it turns out he's really good at guitar but yeah, he's just like yeah you know i can i can i can hold my own guitar Whatever. so he didn't tell you about that because i remember when i watched it um the video of course he started shredding and i just kind of sat back and went no he plays the marimba um <laughs> <laughs> you know the funny thing about the marimba why everyone associates banjo kazooie with marimba right I'm, did he answer this like why it's such an so, iconic no. sound so it really comes down to the marimba. I think is the uh, the smallest uh, file size instrument uh, for the hardware, uh, wow. so you can get away with a lot of notes <laughs> with the marimba um, as opposed to like something a little bit more, you know, I, pretty much anything else. There's some, I guess, there's something about that 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 file size, um, and I mean, uh, Grant loves his uh, loves as many possible notes as he can fit in one measure. Um, I, I can I can tell you that having played a lot of his music, um, but like he loves arpeggios, he loves all that stuff. So I'm sure he was limited to what instruments he could use, and marimbo was probably uh, the one that that got used the most because of that. Hmm, interesting. I'm now picturing banjo kazooie with some other instruments. Um, no, but uh, obviously, um, you two you said you're friends with him. Um, I think yeah. before we started recording, uh, do you two still keep in contact? The same question with John Petrucci as well uh yeah sometimes you know sometimes my my dad grant kirkhope calls me and asks me you know how i'm doing and you know if i'm doing my laundry and stuff and <laughs> uh yeah uh, grant and i grant and i chat quite a bit um just we text each other um i make fun of him uh he makes fun of me uh mostly i'm making fun of him because you know he uh through like social media like sometimes he'll accidentally like uh tweet uh or like retweet um uh not obviously adult uh <laughs> fan art of banjo kazooie until you click it and see that it was cropped and then i'll be like 
<laughs> nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which did happen once. He'll he'll deny it, but it did happen. Um uh but luckily Twitter got rid of that uh that or I think they got rid of the cropping thing. I think anyway. so, yeah. Yeah, uh but yeah, it, it's it's very playful. Grant's a, Grant's a, uh, Grant really is a uh, um multi-layered in that way. I think he he you know, on the surface he's the kindest, most just like humble uh you know, composer that you could ever meet. And then once you break that surface, you realize he's a grouchy old man that can't keep his potty mouth in check. And then right under that, it's right back to being the most like warm, uh, just wants everybody to succeed except, you know, the people who don't deserve it. <laughs> but he's, he's very like, you know, he's very like political sometimes on social media, but like for, for people who work very, very hard and people who cover his stuff, he's so supportive and he's so respectful and mm-hmm. he loves it when people like cover, uh, Bando Kazooie or make art of it, of course, um, he'll, he'll support it. Um, and I think, uh, he's a real gem, not just for being such a good person, but being such a colorful individual um in the community and i'm really lucky to still be able to talk to him um john i i I talked to through email every once in a while um there was one time that he came through uh this area of san diego which is where i'm from and uh he he was just like hey you want to take us to the show and that was really really nice of him um and you know he he's very like he is also just very humble and very caring. Like he, like I remember, like he, he like texted me during the show. He's just like, "Hey, are you enjoying the show?" I'm just like, Sh- "What? I, what are you doing?" Like you know, you go off and <laughs> just make make sure I'm having a good time, which is so so crazy to you know, like like I I have these stories up on uh, one of my channels of you know both the John Petrucci um, situation and the Grand situation and what happened afterwards, but. Um, you know, long answer short. Uh, yeah, we, we I talk with Grant a lot more, but um, you know, John Petrucci is obviously a, a you know heavy metal superhero that has to fly around to every city in the world multiple times a year. So he's mm. he's very 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 busy. But I hope one day I can uh, do another another thing with him if he was if he was willing. But fingers yeah. crossed. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. That'd be nice. Uh, and just moving on to the last set of questions here. Yeah. Um, you've started streaming on Twitch. Uh, ooh, I don't want to say recently because I didn't know about it at first. Um, it wasn't recently. Good choice. <laughs> but I remember once upon a time you were uh, streaming, putting mel- uh, medleys together. Yes. Yeah. Um, what led you to make that decision? And did you find chat helpful or was that as chaotic as that sounds? Chat sucks. I think um, uh, <laughs> I, I hate I hate my Twitch chat. I want to ban them all and get a new one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, love those guys. I it was a shower thought. I had this idea because I was watching so many um, those Watch Mojo top tens. And it's one of those things where you just like it's almost like turn your brain off content, where it's like so interesting, but you're also just like you finish watching one and you don't retain anything from the video. Like you're just like, wow, I wonder what the next one is. Wow, I wonder what the next one is. Wow, I have no idea what I just watched. <laughs> like, uh, but I, I loved top ten, uh, the top ten concept, and it was a huge, um, you know, button uh, thing in 2016. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of people were adopting this top ten kind of format and i was like how can i do that in a way that still fits in my thing and i was like i i'll do a medley i'll do a top 10 medley like and i'll uh but then i'm just like oh no what if people don't like my opinions and um 
you know, the the reasonable person would say, who cares what other people think? But uh, I did the other thing where I made the audience vote instead. So then if they didn't like it, I could be like, well, that's your fault. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I just relinquished any accountability for the for, for the actual results. And um, I think I made the right choice. But, uh, you know, it could have also been interesting to do my personal tops. Um, but I think it was uh, more more interesting for a uh carving carving the carving that in the sand for 2016 or whatever in the in the stone for what people thought the top 10 mini boss themes were the top 10 game over themes or whatever was at that time um the f i was on kind of a break um i'd done three consecutive years of weekly videos um and i was exhausted but i was also um kind of in this mentality that I didn't want to just go indefinitely because I wanted to have kind of an, like an end goal to be looking forward to. Like I wanted kind of a, like I didn't want to, it's like Minecraft where like either you can just kind of run around and just do whatever for as long as you can until you just give up and just get bored with it. Or you have a, a goal, right? You want to build the Death Star, you know, in Minecraft or something. Like, like, and like when you have that goal, you play a lot more, right? And you feel like you that drive. And that was always my goal. Like I wanted to get to the end of the year. Um, and I did that three times and I was just like, okay, I'm exhausted. I'm going to take a break now. Um, and that was kind of my first, con uh, that was my first cons constant project after that long break. Um, and anybody who makes content knows that it's really, really hard to get back into it after you take a long break. Um, so the way I was able to do that is, um, kind of integrate my Twitch chat into it for better or for worse. Um, and show the process of what I was doing um, while I was doing it. Um, I think it, I was hoping that it would motivate me to work harder because people are watching, but it actually, I think it worked against me because I was too busy trying to entertain the chat half the time. So um, yeah, I, th I think uh, that was a fun project. I would love to return to it. Um, but I, I, as you can tell, I have no shortage of projects that I have <laughs> to do. I will, I will say, and this is more so background on the radio show, I have actually used those videos constantly to find just a random piece of music when I cannot think of what to put on the show. It mm -hmm. is very useful. So if you haven't checked them out, go check them out, seriously. It, yeah, I, I've always wanted to kind of be um, a video game composer myself. So it was also kind of a research. There's a research element to it for me too, where you know, in the future, if I'm like, oh no, I have to write a mini boss and I have no idea what to do, I could just watch that video and start like maybe taking notes of like, oh well, what, 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 what do the best mini boss themes have in common? It was another idea why I thought like it would help me for later. Um, mm. but yeah. Uh, and you did say big projects, and there are two big projects that you did. Uh, that come to mind immediately, of course, both versions of your replay mm -hmm. and your 70-man Mario um, <laughs> medley, which was unbelievably um, impressive. How how much work was um, both of those, I guess, but more so the Mario with 70 people? Both of those took a month. Um, I pretty much had a limit deadline on a month for me. Um, for, for the Mario medley, I had a very... Um, strict deadline um kind of thing with uh, uh i had a huge spreadsheet of everybody i wanted to work on and like um backup artists in case that uh you know one had to drop out or something which which ended up happening you know there would be like one person who who uh 
I had I had in mind for it because a lot of it was cast. Like it, there was no audition process for anything. It was like like I knew specifically who I wanted for each part. Um, and sometimes it wouldn't work out. And I had kind of a list of artists who were just multi-talented that I could kind of slot in. So there's a lot of artists that I really wish I could have gotten on um, that I also didn't want to tell them that I, because then I don't want them to be like, oh man, I could have, but I did it, you know? So <laughs> that was hard too, because like there was a lot of people that I know were just like, why didn't Jules ask me? Like we go, we go so bad, we go way so far back. And uh, it was, it was a tough project for that because if it was any other way, then what would happen in the event that I had to, like the deadline was up and then I had to find somebody else and I didn't have anybody else. Um, these were all things that I thought of beforehand, but um, I gave myself a certain amount of time to edit the video, a certain amount of time to mix and master it. Um, and the entire process, I gave myself a month. Um, what helped is like everybody's part is like, what, six or seven seconds, like maximum. So most people I think were able to just kind of like bust it out in a day or two, you know, or if they wanted to go hard on it, they could, if they didn't want to, they would still meet the deadline and have everything. So I did all the bass and rhythm guitars, but if they wanted to do it, I took mine out and I let them shine because that's what I, I wanted it to be a showcase of everybody. Um, and as much as they wanted to show of themselves. Uh, so yeah, it, that was probably one of the most, like somebody uh, in an interview recently asked me if I could leave only one video up on my channel, what would it be? And I would say that one, because I think it's, that was a project that was bigger than me. I feel like it, it, it showcased the community. It showcased a, like a lot of passion from a lot of different people and a lot of different styles, maybe a lot of guitar, but there was, there was other stuff there, but you know, hmm. if I were to do it again, I'd probably make it a little bit more diverse, but, um, I would love to do it again. Replay was another one that um, re the first replay only took me a week and a half. Um, and then the second one took me a month. Okay. Fair enough. That's actually really, really impressive considering Thank how you. many times as a kid, I think I listened to the first replay as study background music. Yeah. Um, I was, I was actually studying for my, um, during that week I was studying for my finals. That was uh, like uh, May or something. Um, so uh, I think one of the, like, I think one of the reasons I was able to put so many hours into it and, and is, is that it was a procrastination uh, thing. Like, but I work very well with kind of having multiple projects at once and being able to like rotate between them. So I would study really, really hard until I got tired. Then I would work on that video really hard. And then I would go to sleep for, you know, maybe 38 seconds. And then I would, you know, <laughs> go, go eat maybe and then study and then work. And then, you know, and it was this circle. Um, I did well on my finals. Um, well and uh, yeah, and that video turned out very, very, very good. That was the, it was the biggest video on, uh, I think it still is the biggest video on my channel. Um, uh, not all my channels, unfortunately. Uh, Jules Connor is a uh, megalovania doorbell video uh, has 11 million views now and that has surpassed <laughs> replay but. i was gonna ask about that how do, how do you feel about that being your most viewed video well view, i i think it helps to know that the the view count isn't a a, a good a meter you know mm. as we all know um it you know good things don't necessarily equate to good views um and not to say that's a bad video. I think it, we had a lot of fun with that video, but um, I think people really look at those numbers as kind of the 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 barometer that they're supposed to be uh, judging how well their their stuff is. But there's so much that goes into it. Um, 
not just how good your your playing is which that's when you go in it that that's the that's the equation right it's like if i play guitar good then people watch good (laughs) you know (laughs) that number good uh and that's not you know very quickly you realize that that's not how it is it it actually has to do with um how well do you publish it are your thumbnails good are your titles good are you tagging it tags don't really matter anymore so now what matters it's hashtags now so now you need to be on top of how youtube uh deals with these things in the beginning it was like you know what is the algorithm like and then the algorithm stopped being the algorithm and now every individual has their own algorithm and now subscribers don't really mean anything youtube's a weird based it's it but it makes sense and i feel like the thing that happens is people get stuck in what they think that it should be instead of what it actually is um and i think the reason the megalovania doorbell video did well is not because of an algorithm thing more so than just the psychology of it the title is engaging the thumbnail is like engaging it's just like a video if you see in the recommended you're like oh yeah i wonder what what that sounds like you know and then they click it mm-hmm. it's not like an it, there there's no like um commitment to that you know mm-hmm. you, you're just like oh I'll, I'll hear what this doorbell sounds like but if you watch <laughs> something that's like a 20 minute medley it's like all right break out the popcorn you know like i gotta put my feet up like that's a that's a commitment you know mm. um and i think getting views on that is is like that's almost like a more valuable view because that's a view that might come back to stay where jules connery doesn't have a million 11 million subs not everybody who watched that video stayed because it wasn't a representation of what the content was. So there's a lot of aspects to it. And um, obviously I've put a lot of thought into it, but I'm very interested in analytics and I'm very interested in how um, it plays into uh, social media in general. Fair, fair. Uh, and last three questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned streaming before, before I got off on a little bit of a tangent. Um, nowadays you tend to display uh, just play video games and i remember once upon a time i'm not sure if you still do admittedly uh you were into speed running specifically mm-hmm. mario 64 yep. what led you to kind of chase speed running i wanted a hobby that wasn't music i still enjoyed music but i i really wanted something that i could do because it felt like um a, a curse that i think a lot of creatives get into when the, the hobby becomes the career is that then you start trying to find out how you can make your other hobbies careers because you kind of mistakenly believe that maybe that'll leave me more free time, which doesn't make any sense, but people do it. Um, and then of course, that's what I ended up doing too, where like I started speed running on Twitch and then that became part of my, my, my content too. But um, I think, I think for me, it really was kind of what it ended up being um was a nice productive thing I could do that was away from the other content. So I didn't always feel like a nine to five kind of mentality with family jewels. You know, it it really kind of like, obviously I'm still having fun with it, um, but it, it still was like draining that it was just like, okay, it's time to do the next cover. Okay. It's time to do the next cover 10 years later. Okay. It's time to do the next cover, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, obviously setting these expectations for myself, um, but it's just the way that I, it's the way that I'm the most productive. Um, it was nice to separate that. I, I got into speed running because the drummer in my band 
uh, could speed run, could do the 16 star route, and I watched him do it, and it was fascinating. So I was like, "You have to teach me how to do that wahoo wah 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 wah, wah trick up the steps, and <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, all of that stuff." Um, so he taught me all that stuff, and I actually realized that I had a passion for speed running, and I learned the the hardest run that I possibly could while I had that passion, and that was the 100% route for Banjo Kazooie. So that was the first run that I ever learned. Uh, it's like a two and a half hour run. Um, but later I pieced together the Mario 64 run and I started kind of streaming that. Um, I'm taking a break from it um, because I spent the better part of 2020 doing a lot of speed running. Um, and I have uh, preparations to do two more games. My fault. Um, I hit the mute button. Uh, Bomberman 64 is a game that I really want to speed run and Ocarina of Time is a game Ooh. that I would really love to speed run. But I'm taking a break. I, I like to pace myself. It's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you mentioned your band. Uh, obviously, Thunderforge, for those who don't know. Could you tell us a little bit about Thunderforge? If you don't like operatic vocals, you're probably not going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> we're, at, we are, uh, we're, at, we're an operatic epic power metal band with uh, prog rock um, influences, some gentiness, and some uh, just just all over. Um but we we do um clean operatic vocals on top of um metal guitars that that are progressive uh progressive in style uh arrangement and everything um uh and we try to do catchy catchy metal just like i do on youtube you know just try stuff that's not necessarily what you would imagine metal to sound like but something that like would be more accessible and more um more fun um so uh, i started that band with uh my friends in massachusetts um, and we're still together. We're working on a full-length album right now, very slowly. Most of it's my fault because I have to finish mixing it. But um, yeah, I uh, yeah, I love my band a lot, and I hope to tour with them once uh, the world opens up from the recent the recent pandemic. Mm. Uh, and last two. So, if you had one musician on YouTube, one VGM musician on YouTube to highlight and kind of put out there for people to check out that you believe deserves an unbelievable amount more uh, more attention than they get who would it be off the top of your head scartoon network scartoon network okay yep. definitely check that out um anyone listening of course mm-hmm. um and last question now where can anyone find you like if we're looking for mr family jewels where can we find him if you are looking for um metal uh video game uh, arrangements, um, your favorite songs just rearranged on a twangy box, then you can go to youtube.com slash familyjewels7x, I believe. Um, or if you search Family Jewels in the Google, uh, in the Googles, you, you will find me. Um, uh, if you're more into video game content, uh, comedy, uh, speed running highlights stuff like that from my my twitch stream we do a lot of stuff like that on the jules conroy youtube channel um and i run those consistently both um or if you'd like to watch live streams um i stream on twitch.tv under family jewels no 7x um and then uh if you want to um read my uh jokes that i only find witty at six in the morning before i fall asleep um then twitter.com slash family jewels 7x uh, and that's pretty much it. I got Instagram and all that stuff, but those are the those are the main ones. Nice, nice. And I will just say um, from the entire Player One team, thank yeah. you for popping on and uh, giving us this interview. And hopefully in the future, we can chat to you again. 
Yeah, definitely. I had a great time and uh, thank you so much for making the time to do this with me.